No, it wouldn't have known that you don't lead singing very often. You all did a great job. We appreciate that very much. We do want to remember our youth as they uh, are gone to this afternoon and returning tonight. Remember them that they have a safe journey, and we're glad that they are able to go and uh, meet with other teenagers and younger people their, uh, their age. If you have your Bibles, please turn to 1 Samuel chapter 15. 1 Samuel chapter 15. The Old Testament is very important for people living under the New Testament. The Old Testament is a type of mirror that reflects the attitudes and, and actions of people living in, under that time that either please or displease God. Romans 15 and verse 4 says, Whatever things were written before time were written for our learning, that we through the patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. There are three blessed promises for Christians who study the Old Testament. Patience and comfort and hope. In our text tonight, which is 1 Samuel 15, verses 1 through 24, we find that a king, the first king of Israel, Saul, disobeyed God. And there are various lessons that we can learn from this text. In verses 1 and 2, Samuel told Saul to heed the voice of the words of the Lord. In effect, he's saying you pay attention to the proclamation of the, the words of the Lord. God says he's going to punish the Amalekites for ambushing the Israelites as they were coming out of Egyptian bondage. God's instructions to King Saul in verse 3 were very explicit. He said, now go and attack Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have. Do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, infant and nursing child, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. And so Saul took 200 foot soldiers and 10,000 men of Judah out on his mission. Now the Kenites had been kind to the Israelites while they were in, uh, coming out of Egypt, and therefore they would be in danger if the army attacked Amalek, verse 6. And so King Saul warns them to leave, and they did so. Saul and his army destroyed all the people of Amalek with the edge of the sword, verse 8. But we notice that they, did, they took Agag, king of Amalek, alive. And verse 9 says, But Saul and the people spared Agag, and the best of the sheep, the oxen, the fatlings, the lambs, and all that was good, and were unwilling to utterly destroy them. But everything despised and worthless, that they utterly destroyed. Why were they unwilling to destroy these animals and other things that were good? They thought it would be a great waste. That there was, they had a better idea than God. They were unwilling to destroy them because they thought that they ought to be saved. 
regardless of what God said. It was what they considered to be best rather than what God commanded. So they didn't want to waste those things. Well, God was displeased with their disobedience. In 1 Samuel 15 and verse 11, God says, I greatly regret that I have set Saul as king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel, and he cried to the Lord all night. Why was God sorry that he had set up Saul as king? said it was because Saul had stopped following him and would not obey his commandments. Now, early the next morning, Samuel went to meet Saul, and when he found him, Saul said in verse 13, I have performed the commandment of the Lord. Now, God said, he has not performed my commandments. Saul says, I have performed the commandments of the Lord. One of them must be wrong. When Saul said, I have performed the commandment of the Lord, in verse 15, or verse 14 of 1 Samuel 15, Samuel says, What then is this bleeding of the sheep in my ears, and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? And Saul answered in verse 15, and notice the difference. The people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice the Lord your God, and the rest we have utterly destroyed. We can see from the, his own words that he knew exactly what God had commanded him to do. He said the people are the ones who didn't do it, but we utterly destroyed them. In verse 16, Samuel said to Saul, Be quiet, and I will tell you what the Lord said to me last night. So he said to him, speak on. Samuel reminded Saul that before he lost his humility, when he was still little or small in his own eyes, verse 17, that God had anointed him king over Israel. He reminded Saul of God's specific instructions in verse 18. His mission was to go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. So Samuel asked Saul why he did not obey the voice of the Lord. In verses 20 and 21, Saul said to Samuel, But I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. It's the same thing he said back in verse 13. I have obeyed the voice of the Lord and got on the mission on which the Lord had sent me. And brought back Agag, king of Amalek. I have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But here he goes again. The people took of the plunder, sheep, and oxen, the best of the things which should have been utterly destroyed, to sacrifice them to the Lord your God in Gilgal. Much like what he said up in verse 15. But notice verses 22 and 23. Then Samuel said, as the Lord is great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord, behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. 
because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he also has rejected you from being king. Well, finally, Saul admits to Samuel in verse 24, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Finally, Saul admits that he is guilty, that he had disobeyed. In the New Testament, the word disobedience means an unwillingness to be persuaded. The disobedient are those who reject the will of God. Well, in our text, Samuel used two synonyms for disobedience to kind of give us an insight as to what it means. Those words are found in verse 23, the words rebellion and stubbornness. But tonight I want to notice four significant lessons that we can learn from Saul's disobedience. The first lesson is this, talk is not obedience. Just saying it is not obedience. In verse 13, Saul said, I have performed the commandment of the Lord. Again in verse 20, Saul said to Samuel, but I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. Talk is cheap. It's easy to talk a good game. It's easy for people to say, I love the Lord. But obedience is the acid test. Jesus said in John 14 and verse 15, If you love me, keep my commandments. And in John 15 and verse 14, he said, You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. It's easy for us to say, I love my brethren. Those words may be cheap. Are we willing to lay down our lives for our brethren. In John 13 verses 34 and 35, Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. How will people know that we're Christians? Jesus said, by this, by what? Not by having the love that the world has for each other but by having the love that Jesus showed and demonstrated in his life. God's people are willing to die for one another. In 1 John 3 and verse 16 John says, By this we know love because he laid down his life for us and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. In 1 John 4 and verse 11, John writes, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. So many people today, quote, testify about their salvation, and yet they have not obeyed the Lord. A person will say, Oh, I know I'm saved. I accepted Jesus as my Savior. And what he did was probably said a prayer, I accept you as my Savior. There's more to accepting Jesus as our Savior than simply saying the words. 
person says, oh, I'm saved. I, I invited the Lord to come into my heart. You don't find those phrases in the New Testament. You don't find those phrases in the Bible. Jesus asked in Luke 6 and verse 46, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things which I say? James writes in James 1 and verse 22, But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. So it's not enough just to claim to obey. Saul claimed it, but he didn't do it. We must do what God commands. Solomon said in Ecclesiastes 12 and verse 13, Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is man's all. King James says, this is the whole duty of man. So lesson number one, talk is not obedience. Lesson number two, partial obedience is still disobedience. Saul obeyed part of what God told him to do. He almost obeyed God, but he left out two things. Number one, he spared Agag the king, and secondly, he spared the best of the animals and all that was good, verses 20 and 21. Saul's partial obedience was still recognized by God as disobedience. In 1 Samuel 15 and verse 26, Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you, for you have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. In spite of what Saul said, he had not obeyed God. God himself said, as we noted in verse 11, I greatly regret that I have set up Saul as king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. Jesus said in Mark 16 and verse 15, or verse 16, he who believes and is baptized will be saved. If a person believes but is not baptized, is that obedience? Has he done what God told him to do? If a person does a lot of good works, He's, he's, he's good, he's kind, he's, he's a great neighbor. He may be a good citizen. He does all kinds of good things, but he doesn't obey what God says. Is that obedience? In Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23, Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. They were doing a lot of good things, perhaps doing things that some religious leader had told them to do, but they had not searched the scriptures to find out what God wanted them to do. Are you actually doing God's will? Or are you doing what some individual has told you? Or are you just doing 
part of what God says or most of what God says. Those things are not good enough. Hold the place here in 1 Samuel chapter 15 and turn in the New Testament to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10 and notice with me verses 17 through 22. Talking about Jesus who's traveling, it says it. Now as he was going on the road, one came running, knelt before him, and asked him, Good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? So Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud. Honor your father and your mother. And he answered and said to him, Teacher, all these things I have observed from my youth. And then Jesus, looking at him, loved him, and said to him, One thing you lack. Go your way, sell whatever you have, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, take up the cross, and follow me. But he was sad at this word, and went away sorrowful, for he, was, for he had great possessions. He obeyed some of the commands. In fact, he may have obeyed most of the commands. But not all of them. Jesus said, there's one thing you lack. Is there one thing tonight that you lack? Have you obeyed most of what God wants you to do, but you left something out? James 2 and verse 10 James says, For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. And some may say, well, that doesn't seem fair. I, I can't believe the Bible would say something like that. Well, suppose you're in your car. And you go through a red light and the officer pulls you over. And you say, what's the matter, officer? And he says, well, you ran a red light. And you say, well, yes, but officer, don't you notice I, I'm wearing my seatbelt? I've got my seatbelt on, and did you notice a, a, a mile back there was a red light, and I stopped for that red light? And officer, on the, before you stopped me, I probably made a dozen turns, and every time I turned my signals on before I turned. And officer, I've been driving quite a bit today, and I, I've not been guilty of speeding one single time. officer says, you're still guilty. You ran a red light. You broke the law. And although you obeyed many other traffic laws, you were still guilty of disobeying the law. Partial obedience is not obedience. It's disobedience. The third lesson that we can learn from this text is that the majority action does not justify disobedience. Saul said in verse 21, but the people took of the plunder sheep and the oxen, the best of the things that should have been destroyed to sacrifice the Lord your God in Gilgal. He tried to blame it on the people. He said, oh, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord, but it was the people. They, they did what they shouldn't have done, or they failed to do what they should have done. They were disobedient. In reality, Saul and all the people were disobedient. 
Today, a lot of people want to use the majority or the world as their standard. Well, everybody else is doing it, so why can't I? Well, I know the speed limit is 65, but everybody's going 70. Why can't I do it? Everybody knows if you just go five or six miles over the speed limit, it's all right. They're going to accept that. They're not going to bother you. Everybody else does it. Why should I? Well, probably because God tells us to obey the laws of the land. What will happen if we obey the majority? There's only two eternal destinations. Matthew 7, verses 13 and 14. Jesus says, enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go in by it, because straight is the gate and narrow is the way that leads to life, and there are few who find it. We follow the majority. We're not going to end up where we want to end up. In Matthew 22 and verse 14, Jesus says, For many are called, but few are chosen. Many are called. That's why God commands us to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. That's how he calls through the gospel. 2 Thessalonians 2 and verse 14. Many are called, but few are chosen. How are they chosen? the ones who obey him. In Romans 2 and verse 13, Paul says, For not the hearers of the law are just in the sight of God, but the doers of the law shall be justified. In Noah's day, very, very few were saved from the flood. In 1 Peter 3, verses 20 and 21, Peter says, once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is, eight souls were saved through water. There's also an antitype which now saves us, baptism. Not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The vast majority of people today, even religious majority, want to exclude the necessity of baptism from God's plan. But we cannot be saved by partial obedience. It doesn't matter how many people claim that we can, we cannot. Majority action does not justify disobedience. In John 12 and verse 48, Jesus said, He who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. No one is going to be judged by the majority rule, what the majority thinks. Every person is going to be judged by the words of Christ. 2 Thessalonians 1, verses 7 through 9, tells us that the Lord Jesus is going to be revealed from heaven in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. These will be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. If we don't obey the gospel of Christ, not part of it, all of it, we're going to be punished eternally. Exodus 23 and verse 2 says, You shall not follow a crowd to do evil. 
But then the fourth lesson that we learn from our text is that worthy objectives do not justify disobedience. Just because our objectives may seem to be worthy, it does not justify disobedience. 1 Samuel 15, verse 21 says, But the people took of the plunder, sheep, and the oxen, the best of the things which should have been utterly destroyed, to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. Oh, they saved all those things, they said, the, the best of the animals, all the things that were good. We want to sacrifice them to God. We want to go above and beyond what God said to do. We're going to do more than he said. We, we want to give these things to God. It may sound logical from a human standpoint, but our text teaches us that worthy objectives do not justify disobedience. Notice verse 22 again. Then Samuel said, As the Lord is great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices, as in obeying the voice of the Lord, behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed or to listen than the fat of rams. Jesus tells us that the greatest commandment of all is to love God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind. Matthew 22, verses 37 and 38. What does it mean to love God? We've already mentioned John 14, 15 and John 15, 14. John himself writes in 1 John 5 and verse 3, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. If we really love the Lord, his commandments are not going to be a burden to us. We'll say, speak, Lord, your servant hears. Lord, what do you want me to do? God was very plain in his commands. Destroy all of it. God did not want those things. He did not need those things. He wanted them to be destroyed. And finally Saul admitted in verse 21 that these were things that should have been utterly destroyed. We can't have the attitude, well, I'm not going to obey God, but I'm going to do more than what God says. I'm going to really sacrifice to God. I'm going to do more than God expects everybody else to do. If we're not willing to obey God, God is not going to accept anything that we offer up to Him. Solomon said in Proverbs 28 and verse 9, One who turns away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer is an abomination. A person who rejects God's word a person who will not obey God and says, Oh God, please hear my prayer. That's an abomination to God. God despises that. So Samuel told Saul to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. Deuteronomy 4 and verse 2 says, You shall not add to the word which I command you, nor take from it that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God 
which I command you. The only way to obey God is to not add anything to it nor take anything away from it. If we do either one of those things, we're guilty of disobedience. Deuteronomy 12 and verse 32, God says, whatever I command you, be careful to observe it. You shall not add to it nor take away from it. Remember Uzzah? God had commanded that the Ark of the Covenant was to be carried on poles that went through the rings of the Ark. And that if anyone touched the Ark itself, they would die. Numbers 4 in verse 15. In 2 Samuel chapter 6, verses 3 through 7, we read where they were moving the Ark on a new cart. We read in verses 6 and 7 of 2 Samuel 6. And when they came to Nachon's threshing floor, Uzzah put it out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen stumbled. Then the anger of the Lord was aroused against Uzzah, and God struck him there for his error, and he died there before the ark of God. Did Uzzah have good intentions? ark was on that cart, the oxen stumbled, it looked like the ark was going to fall off the cart, and so he grabs it to keep it from falling. What would you have done? God said, don't touch it or you're going to die. God keeps his promises. God does not lie. As I touched it, and he died. It may seem worthy for people to say, Oh, Lord, Lord, you're, you're in charge. Oh, I, I do all this in the name of the Lord. I'm teaching in the name of the Lord. I'm doing all these good deeds in the name of the Lord. Those who do those things and do not obey the will of God exactly are going to hear him say, I never knew you. Depart from me. Matthew, or Hebrews 5, verses 8 and 9, the writer says that though Jesus was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Jesus learned obedience. And I used to think, what does that mean? He was always obedient. He was, he was never disobedient. He learned true obedience when he had to suffer for it. A parent tells her child, I want you to eat some ice cream. Oh, okay, I'll do that. That's easy. The parent says, I want you to eat that broccoli. It was fairly easy for Jesus to obey God. Not easy from a human standpoint. Later on in his life when he knew what was coming. He knew he was going to be scourged. He knew all his disciples would reject him and leave him. 
He knew he was going to be crucified. He learned obedience. I think it was when he went to the garden and he said, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. But it really hit home. What does obedience mean? It means I'm willing to suffer. I'm willing to hurt. It's not always easy to do God's will. But we must do it. God doesn't think the way that we think. The people thought, oh, this is going to please God if we save all these good things and, and offer them as a sacrifice. Oh, yes, I know God sings, but it would be better if we had music. God, that would really praise God. Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9, God says, My thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Just because we like something doesn't mean that God's going to like it. God tells us what he wants. He says what he means, and he means what he says. And we need to be obedient to him. Proverbs 14 and verse 12 says, There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. And he repeats that in chapter 16 and verse 25. I don't know a better way of closing this lesson than reading again verses 22 and 23. And Samuel said, As the Lord has great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices, as in obeying the voice of the Lord, Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he also has rejected you from being king. We can't just do part of what God says. We can't just do most of what God says. We can't just claim that we're obeying God. We have to truly submit. God, whatever you want me to do, I'm willing to do it. Anything else is iniquity, stubbornness. Are you really obeying the Lord? Or are you trying to do like Saul did? Just do part of what he says because, well, I agree with that. But I don't understand the rest, so I'm not going to do it. That doesn't work. We must submit wholeheartedly and completely to him. Tonight, if you need to respond to the Lord for any reason, if you're ready to be baptized for the mission of sins or you need prayers for help in any way, please come while we stand and as we sing.